Hi, I'm Nitan. And I'm Adam, and this is The Final Curtain, a special mini-series from Stories from the East and West, bringing you personal accounts from people who experienced the collapse of the Eastern Bloc. For today's episode, our producer Piot went to Berlin to talk to Michael Nitzel and Edgar Harte from Cabaret Distel. They'll tell us what it was like to create political satire under the straitjacket of state censorship, where shows could be shut down during the dress rehearsal, and your fellow actors could be working for the Stasi. Coming up on The Final Curtain. Dramatic eyewitness accounts of fighting in Bucharest. Police had forcefully beaten demonstrators in East Berlin. Thousands of Czechoslovaks shaking their house keys. The protest movement is now too big to be controlled. Good evening. It is over in Poland. Iron curtain across Europe, torn down. My name is Michael Nitzel. My name is Michael Nitzel. I've been with Theater Distel since 1983. My name is Edgar Harter. My name is Edgar Harter. I've been involved since 1968. Yeah, it's. Was actually on I think in the beginning it was about wanting to have a laugh at the system. Das wollen über dieses System zu lachen in allen Bezirken dieses Land. Cabarets were founded in every district of East Germany as a sort of place to vent. Let's let the people laugh about the crap happening here rather than having to think too hard about it. With us, it was always a little bit different. You had the impression when you stood on the stage that you weren't just making dumb jokes about what was happening to this country, to the people, but we were always striving to go into things deeper. The amount of criticism we were allowed to demonstrate to the public was different at different times. Sometimes we could really branch out, sometimes our limits were very tight. It really depended on the political climate, what the relations were like between both systems, socialism, capitalism. If the relations were strained, then our ability to speak on stage about problems critically was limited. So it really depended on the state of the GDR, what we were allowed to say or not. A big theme for the cabaret was, of course, West German shops and West German money. Buying things that you could only get in the West was something that was a very hot topic for citizens. And to speak about it was very complicated. We were never allowed to say the names of politicians, so it had to be worked around. It was taboo. The country's relationship with the Soviet Union was also taboo. That could only be spoken about very vaguely and not always.
Da saßen praktisch schon in Endproben, saßen dann... During final rehearsals, there was, what were they called? Our social partner, they were called, which was nothing more than a censor who sat there. They would never directly say to us, that has to go, but they would run it past the director or theater administrator. Nothing was ever said to us directly. We just had to follow what had been ordered from above. So, we had to follow Of course, we in the cabaret always had the opportunity to break out, if you know what I mean, to test the boundaries, to bring to light things that were important to us. And the nice thing was that in the GDR you didn't always have to verbally say what you wanted to say, because all the people in the country had a shared experience. That meant being able to leave something out or to not finish the end of a sentence, and you already had a collective understanding. People would laugh themselves silly over these stories. So there were some tricks that wouldn't work today, as now everything has to be spoken out loud. The politicians in charge wanted the cabaret to take place, but they weren't interested in us shaking the foundations of socialism. The view of those who oversaw us, and to a large extent our view as well, was that we wanted to bring the weaknesses of socialism to light so that society would be better. For a long time it was also our intention to show that things weren't completely right. In 87 or 88, a production was put on here that was made possible by many coincidences. The director who usually oversaw things was off sick, and there was a chance of putting on a production from two writers who were already under political supervision, Johannes Rascher and Inge Ristock. This production involved revisiting the ideals of the GDR and comparing them to reality. I'm sure you can imagine what came out of that. A catastrophe. But it was wonderfully written and to the point. And this was exactly what was important at the time, if one wanted to seriously show what was happening within the GDR. Still, from the beginning there was a lot of pushback. The production was heavily monitored and a lot of people were observing us and there were always more. There were many disagreements, but we never heard about them because no one ever communicated with us directly, only with those in the inner circle, those within the party. And to make a long story short, on the day of the dress rehearsal, there was a huge group meeting in the foyer, and we were sat in a circle and told that this production was counter-revolutionary and could not be put on. And the writer or director 
I can't remember which said. Okay, well then tonight 422 people are going to be standing outside on Friedrichstrasse, as our dress rehearsals were always open to the public. And that was tricky because Friedrichstrasse was a so-called border area, and on the other side was the Trennenpalast, the crossover point to West Berlin. That was of course a very serious situation because people could look over, and no one wanted that, of course. So then they said, fine, tonight, one time, and we put it on. We wrote letters and invitations to everyone we could, who we thought might support us, and I rode around on my bicycle and distributed them, along with my colleagues. And I have to say, I have never experienced anything like that in the theater or cabaret, because the production was so on point and the reactions were so unbelievable. Some people even cried because things were being said that you couldn't say before or wouldn't say, and it was a really big deal. It was a night where we all thought we couldn't be stopped. We were all, of course, very naive, and then it was over as quickly as it started. We were also performing on other smaller stages, earning a bit of extra money doing smaller productions. And from that day forward, in every first row, there were always one or two men who, before everything started, crossed their legs, pulled out a notepad and a pen with a loud click, and sat there to see if they could get something on us from the production. Towards the end of the GDR, in 88, the social situation was very tense. There was the civil rights movement and so on, and the Socialist Unity Party were beginning to lose their influence. The ideology of socialism had nothing to do with the reality of it anymore. And that was the start of an existential problem, this final phase of the GDR. At the time, it was hard for the party to really forbid much. It was more complicated. They really had to take a step back from the citizens, pulling their influence back a bit. So the content of our shows really had its finger on the pulse of the times. And that really was our intention when the political upheaval was happening day to day, hour to hour. We were also, let's say, all active in this history. We were all very active in this history. Edgar and I were also sometimes a part of it. For example, the gathering that happened on November 4th, that demonstration that took place in the city center. Organized wurde. Das fand dann immer mal im am 7. Oktober gab uns die Anwesenheit Michael Gorbatschows neuen Mut, 
And there was talk of revolution and the workers and businesses and theater people presented their demands to the government. It was great. In the evening, before our shows, we would tell people what the new developments were. And we never worked harder than during this time because every day we had to change up our show. For the first time, we couldn't just have a show run for half a year with small changes. It really had to be changed every day, and it really was amazing. It was so much fun. And it was a lot of work, but it was so exciting that you kind of hoped something would have to be changed. And the demonstrations were always getting bigger, and there were more and more demands, and then the 9th of November happened. We are taking you live to the Brandenburg Gate and the Berlin Wall, where hundreds of people... Good evening. These are the sights and sounds of the continuing celebration of Germans. About the Berlin, within hours of East Germany's decision to let its people go by opening the border to the west, the city erupted in a frenzy of celebration. East German border guards watched as jubilant crowds danced on the infamous Berlin Wall that's divided Europe for a generation. We put on a dress rehearsal and the stagehand listening to the radio told us that the wall had fallen and no one believed it. We grew up with this wall and we could never imagine that one day this thing would be gone. For those of us in the cabaret, it was a difficult moment because people now had other things to do besides go to the cabaret in the evening. But then we realized that on the other side of the wall, things were a bit more relaxed. A lot of West Berliners started showing up because they didn't have as much emotionally invested in the wall. It worked out pretty well. It was very lucky that the city is so big and the other side, the West Berliners, took such a huge interest in cabaret that we were never wanting for audience members, unlike other cabarets in the GDR that were suddenly left empty because people had other problems to pay attention to. It was a bit harder while the unification process was taking place, but we had great writers. We had shows where we reflected a lot on topics pertaining to the GDR. In one show we buried the GDR and eulogies were given where we revisited all the crap and of course people found it great. Wir danken den Banken, die still toleriert, dass man unsere Konten hart gemacht hat und halbiert. That was basically the content of the next show after the wall fell. To some extent, we wanted to heal the wounds of the citizens of the GDR. I don't know how else to say it. The most important themes in the first years of unification was the controversy with the Stasi that took up a lot of space in our shows. We came to the conclusion that we, as a cabaret, as Distel, 
that we weren't affected by this problem. Our colleagues who had been in the Stasi were no longer involved with us, they had left. And then, nine years after reunification, it suddenly came out that our old boss had been in the Stasi. And there was a huge scandal within the theater and also outside of the theater. And after nine years of being very critical of the Stasi in this problematic controversy, we were suddenly right in the middle of this topic. Later on, when people were able to look at their files, lots of people were wandering around with briefcases with lots of evidence files inside. I met up with a colleague around the corner who wasn't in our theater troupe anymore. I didn't have my Stasi files with me, but some car catalogs, because my father wanted to buy a car. And I went into the pub with this thing under my arm, and... I just wanted to add that you had a victim file. There were two types of file, victim or perpetrator. So Stasi or not Stasi. And he was on the side that was not a member of the Stasi. So I didn't even have this file because I hadn't even looked at it yet. But I took the car brochures with me into the pub and I was complaining about something. And so I had this kind of attitude about me. I go in, my colleague was sitting there and he had some sort of question for me. I took the bag and slammed it onto the table. It didn't have anything to do with him, but my colleague went white as a sheet and said I can explain. <laughs> then he explained how he had been spying on me for years. After about one and a half hours I was stunned. I took out the car brochures and he turned white again. And then we parted ways. Our colleague Frank Hildebrandt later said that he had always found performing in the former GDR really exciting because the audience really paid attention in a different way. They didn't just lounge comfortably in their seats, but sat at the edge of their seats and really wanted to learn something. Of course, it's hard because anyone can say anything and where nothing is really forbidden, then you're damned to being ineffective. You're allowed to say, Angela Merkel is a stupid cow. Nothing happens. And that's what makes it harder in a free society. You really have to use a lot of mental effort to really provoke something. It works for some, but I don't know if we are the right ones for such provocation. Lately, we've been putting on satirical cabaret-like pieces tackling subjects influenced by daily politics. That's what you end up working with, because people come to see what you'll bring to the table. 
Our newest show is called Beginner's Guide to Saving the World, which of course talks about what's going on with climate change, how our society is developing, what's happening with internet privacy, etc. All the issues of today are turned into topics of conversation. As a cabaret, we question things. We ask why something is the way it is. We point it out and we point out things that are unfair, but in a way that one can really tell what the root of the problem is. That's the job of a cabaret, to ask questions. That's the job of art in general, to ask questions. Others need to provide the answers. The way I see political developments going, there's always going to be content. Obviously not always so bright. Who knows how this Europe is going to develop. That will definitely impact Cabaret. Cabaret will react the same way everything reacts when things happen in society. We're at the end of our professional life. I'm 73 years old and it's about time to pack my suitcase and leave for the next phase that has nothing to do with work. That's something we'll keep an eye on, because the ensemble has gotten much younger. And yeah, I'll be in the current program until it finishes and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> This episode of The Final Curtain was produced for Culture PL and hosted by Anna Mzhwawski and me, Nitan Reisner. If you want to learn more about the story you just heard, see the show notes in your podcast app or go to the Stories from the East and West website at sftew.com. Make sure to subscribe or check our feed next week. You'll hear from Irina from Kiev, whose story goes a long way to show the everyday struggles of the transition period in the USSR itself. Also, we're very happy to announce that this week we're joining the Bear Radio Collective. It's a Berlin-based network of outstanding podcasts and radio makers, and now we're part of it too. If you're up for a dive into the creative side of Europe, visit www.bearradio.org, with shows ranging from explorations of Berlin's underground music scene to talk shows on all things European. You're bound to find something that will take your fancy.